coming at us again with his holy love. And he says these words, blessed, flourishing. These are the people who are flourishing. The pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And as we sang, we want to, to say right now, here's our heart, Lord. Speak what is true. We thank you, God, that you don't seek to reveal our sins so that we wallow around in guilt, shame, and fear, but you reveal our sin so that you might lead us to Jesus, the one who has come to destroy, to pay for, and to redeem us from all our guilt, shame, and fear. And we ask you today, God, that as we know the truth, it would set us free for your glory and our good and the good of our city. In Jesus' name, amen. As I studied for this this week, I came across a story. I, I tried to fact check it as best I could because I'd never heard this before. And it's a little unnerving. So studies of World War II have shown that some American businesses did profitable business with Nazi Germany until the final stages of the war. So they sort of cooperated unofficially until it got towards the end where it knew it was going to be bad. And there's a book called IBM and the Holocaust by Edwin Black, and it shows that Hitler's regime used American technology to organize slave labor and to manage death camps. IBM facilities operated in Germany throughout the war. And I'm reading this because I want y'all to know I'm making stuff up. Indeed, IBM's chairman received the Germany's Merit Cross for his contribution to German industry during wartime. And other researchers have shown that IBM was hardly alone. The ITT sold components for V1 buzz bombs. And this one was really hard to take. Ford and GM sold trucks. Standard Oil sold oil. Standard Oil sold oil, of course. RCA, Chase Manhattan, and others did the same, selling what they could until it got close to the end and it was going to be revealed. William R. Hawkins says that when national security and profits collide, expect businessmen to be businessmen. These pictures sort of of what it means to be American. When I think of some of these companies, some of these, these businesses, think this, this is America. And yet at least some portions of these profitable businesses were willing to make compromises, willing to turn the other way, willing to be divided in their commitments as long as it was comfortable and as long as it was profitable. But what Jesus is saying is this is not the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying is that we're called to be pure in heart, not two people or many people depending on our circumstances or situations and not to serve two gods or many gods depending on what is most comfortable at the moment. And whether this story is true or not, we know there are many other stories like this in our world. We see it in our workplaces. We see it in our country today. And I'm going to be really honest, I see it in my heart every day. We look at ourselves, I look at my life, and this has been disturbing to see all of the reasons that I can give for the compromises that I make in my life. For the many times that I don't make commitments because I want to keep my options open. I want to sort of play people and play the situation to protect myself instead of trusting that blessed are the pure in heart. In the world and in the church, we see so much hypocrisy. 
We so see so many people saying one thing out of this side of their mouth and then another thing out of this side, doing one thing when they're with this group of people and doing another thing when they're with this group of people. And what we're believing is, is it doesn't really matter who we are at the core. It just matters what we do in front of others. We believe that what we do matters more than why we do it. Really, the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation is zeroed in on this to some degree. Of wanting us to see that God is not a God who delights in our hypocrisy, in our fakeness, in our phoniness, in our compromises, in our lack of a commitment to Him alone. From the very beginning, this is what was happening in Eden. Humanity was choosing to be their own master and yet thinking, I can master my life and then I can have God on the side. Making compromises for the sake of their own comfort. That's why in the Old Testament we read in the book of Leviticus about sacrifices and one of them particularly being a sacrifice of purification because people were living divided, impure lives. In Jesus' day, as he spoke these words, we see the religious leaders of Israel talking a big game about holiness, but being very willing to compromise at the level of the heart. Giving long lists of rules to people that they beat people down with as burdens. And yet they were the ones doing it for all the wrong reasons. And we're told today, you know, that, that sounds good, but you know, it's, that's a pipe dream. Jesus is out of touch. And yet he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Which I think means, and what we want to lay out today, is this purity of heart means we're called to care more about our desires than our doing. I'll say that again. The way of the kingdom of Jesus to be pure in heart is that we begin to care more about our desires than our doing. We care more about the reasons for why we do things than the results that we get in front of other people. We care more about the attitude in which we live than how it appears to others. We care more about character than we do about conforming to even a set of good standards. But there's a problem with this big problem with purity of heart is that in our world, it's the opposite. Doing trumps desires. In our world, it's more about the results that we can get than the reasons for why we do it. In our world, in our political world, in our work world, it's sometimes in our home world and in our own heart world, right? It's more about what we get done than why we do it. The world just doesn't work this way. Instead of hearing, blessed are the pure in heart, we hear both from the world of rebellion and religion, blessed are the compromising. I mean, if you want to get things done, you just got to be willing to get your hands dirty sometimes. You got to compromise. You can't hold so strongly to the way of Jesus, to the way of God, to the way of His kingdom. The world just doesn't work that way. The ends justify the means. And how about this? Sometimes it works. It works. Let's just keep everything gray, right? Everything gray. 
Purity is a myth. Let's not rock the boat. Let's just all agree that we're going to turn our heads on certain things at home or at work, in our hearts, because if we look at that for what it is, or look at myself for who I am, this is going to get messy. But also the world says not only blessed are the compromising, but blessed are the non-committing, the fence-sitters, those who keep their options open when it comes to who rules their hearts. Commitment can feel like it gets you trapped, doesn't it? Commitment messes with that fundamental sense that we want to have autonomy or personal mastery over our own lives. If I go all in with Jesus, then for some of us, if not all of us, it, it just feels a little too risky. We want an escape hatch, don't we? Something better might come along next week. The world tells us blessed are the compromised, the non-committing, and also the world tells us blessed are the inconsistent. People who learn how to be who they need to be when they're with different people. The world, and even in the church, right, we celebrate that as a virtue. To be a chameleon. To be fake, to not blend our lives, to divide our lives. There's the work me, there's the home me, and there's the alone me. Remember the first time, one of the first times that I really was hit by the reality that this was how the world works. I had a Sunday school teacher that I loved when I was in ninth grade, or ninth or tenth grade. And I mean, he, he, he prepared, he studied, he, he really taught us God's word. And there was no expectation that this guy was perfect, but the first time that I played basketball with him, it was like a whole new world of who this person was was opened up. Some of you may be like this. You throw in sports or some kind of competition, it's like you become a beast, right? You become another person. It's kind of like around here, all these nice church people, until they, go to the, until they turn the scoreboard on at the Little League baseball game, and then it's like, wow, the angels have become demons. I remember we were playing basketball, and we're all young, and this guy was pretty old. He was older, but he's still pretty athletic. And I just remember us going up for shots and him like just blocking our shot, be like, in your face, you know? And then like if you would barely foul him, him like getting mad and pitching a fit like, hey, come on, are we not calling fouls? And it was just like, I don't know you anymore. And what's hard, and even though I wasn't super young, is that it starts to mess with how you think about the world. It starts to hurt you because you realize, oh, some people are different when they're around different people. Again, not an expectation of perfection, but such a dividedness of life. We've all been there. What's so hard to see is see this in ourselves, to see that we all say sometimes blessed are the compromising. And what do we say? The first thing out of our mouth is, well, that's different. Well, my situation's different. 
You know, at home, we don't want to have that conversation with the kids over the devices. It's just easier to let it go. At work, when that promotion means, you know, we got to have a little backstabbing or exaggerating our importance. Because, you know, if I don't do it, they're going to do it. And it would be better for me to get that promotion because I'll do a better job. So the ends justify the means. In politics, when we say, well, you know, we got to choose between the lesser of two evils. And then guess what we do? We start, like, ignoring evil and promoting evil. Not just lesser of two evils, but it's morphed into, well, you know, if I really call that evil, then I might lose. Purist is bad. Some of us in here like the Puritans. That was a negative title given to them, mocking them. And they just took it as a badge of honor. That they wanted to live pure lives and be a part of pure churches. What's good is pragmatists, people who just say, you know, pat you on the head. Well, that's nice, honey, but that's not the real world. But there's areas of your life where you don't compromise. Just inwardly reflect on that right now. Where are the areas where you're like, no way, I'm not compromising. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your me time. What Jesus is saying is where you don't compromise, that's where your heart is. Blessed are the non-committal, right? We always say, well, it's different. But where are you so all committed? There's, we're all all committed somewhere. And Jesus is saying, well, there's where your heart is. These are hard questions to ask ourselves. Where will I not compromise and what on my schedule will I not give up? We've all got them. And where are the areas where we just do stuff because we're supposed to do it? This, this is a big claim, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. And to get there, we've got we've to hear from Jesus. So Jesus says, into that world, it was just as much that, or, or if even more, the same then as it is now. Jesus says, blessed are the... What he's saying here, and we have to believe this, is that this is true. Instead of, oh, honey, you live in a dream world, Jesus says, no, this is, this is flourishing life. To pursue this, contrary to the world and often even in the church, purity of heart is flourishing. What does it mean to be pure in the language of the Bible? Many commentators, people who've studied this, come up with two options. But I believe, as, as if you know who D.A. Carson is, I believe he's correct on this, is that both of these are true. The first is to be pure in heart is to be clean. All right, Like we read in Psalm 24, give us clean hands. Right? Pure hearts is to be clean, which means to have a moral purity versus a compromised purity that is diluted, mixed, or counterfeit, or unclean. That's a big deal in the story of the Bible, what it means to come have a cleanness before God. Versus the Pharisees. Right? Jesus said of the Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup. So you do good at keeping the rules, but he says, inside your hearts, your tombs. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. And Jesus is keeping it real, isn't he? I mean, talk about an image of a, you are the most beautiful tomb in the cemetery. 
That's, that's how good your following of God's ways and your purity is, Pharisees. Yeah, you keep your tomb really clean. You're not pure. But also it's commitment. It's cleanness and it's commitment. It's an undivided life versus being people who ride the fence, keep their options open, and serve many masters. In James chapter 4, Jesus, Jesus is half-brother, as it were, says this in James 4.8, and I didn't put this on the screen, so just listen or note it for later. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. To be pure in heart is to not be double-minded. Versus those who Jesus spoke to, you want to love God and money, but you can't serve two masters. And pure in heart. And we've got a zero in here on this word, heart. Beginning to be pure in heart, it's about our desires, our motivations, our, our causes that then shape, therefore, how we feel, how we think, how we interpret the world around us, and what we do. But the heart is the causal core of your personhood, of your reality. Be pure in who you are and in what you do, but ultimately in why you do it. One person said it's the causative source of a person's psychological life in its various aspects. Chris, if you'll click through here, I've got some, some text to help us see that it's, it's about our loves. Jesus says, in just a chapter later, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you treasure, whatever you love, whatever you want, that's driving your life. Go on to the next one. We see here it's this level of the heart. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it's this level of desires and wants. And it goes, Jesus goes on, Matthew 18, 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Oh, I forgive you. But I'm going to make you pay. Right? Oh, I'll give you a hug in front of everybody else, but deep down, you owe me. The heart is at the level of our expectations then. So it's our motivations, it's our expectations, it's our beliefs. Because in that Matthew 18, 35, Jesus is saying, if you really believed how much God's forgiven you, then you would be able to forgive other people. And we see everything comes out of this. These texts from Matthew. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So... So I don't need just more communication tips because I can learn how to communicate better with other people and still my heart be the issue. Matthew 15, 18, and 19, Jesus says again, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's the heart that is the real us. The next one. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
We can sing. We can lift our hands. We can say all the right stuff and have all the right doctrine and have all the right social engagement. But our hearts still be far from God. And we will never be able to pursue real discipleship if we don't realize that this is the great command we're called to do. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The heart is the causal core of who we are. And it is there that Jesus is calling us to be pure. Not to just wash our hands, not just to get our thought life right, not just to get our words right, but ultimately, if we want to see that changed, our heart. Put together, the pure in heart are those whose inner desires match one's outer doing. Whose character, whose character roots all of their conduct. Man, this is a hard pill to swallow. I just want y'all to give me a few tips. Life tips. Right? If I were you, I would want to come and hear a preacher or teacher say, today I'm going to give you five steps for a healthier marriage. Instead, what Jesus is calling us to do is to not just look at the surface, but to go to the core of who we are. To not just change our rules, to not just change what we do, but for us to become people who worship God from our hearts and who love other people from our hearts. I remember when I first learned these things, it was just, it was, it was overwhelming. We talked about this before, is it's like what Jesus is showing us here is not just that I, I need to do some stuff better. But in my moments of, of sinful actions and sinful emotions and sinful interpretations of the world and others is that I'm not just thinking wrong, feeling wrong, and doing wrong. I am worshiping a false god. When my great wife back here, who her eyes hurt, by the way, and she's in a lot of pain, but anyway. So I'm not like picking on her. She knows this. Is... When she comes and wipes the counters down again after I just wiped them down, you would think, well, I just probably need to learn how to clean counters better. But my response of withdrawal, of anger, of self-loathing and self-pity reveals that I may have been doing the right thing on the outside by trying to be helpful, but what I was doing it for was for the worship of my own heart. The worship of my own life. It appeared as helpful, but it was the actions of one as a whitewashed tomb. When our desires become demands that reveals that good things have become God's. And what might look good on the level of our outward practice is rotten at the level of the purity of our hearts. So how do we pursue this? Well, the first thing is, is we've got to believe it. Right? We've got to believe that blessed are the pure in heart. Because you know what I want to do? I just want to fake it and say, oh, that's okay. 
everything's fine. Or I just want to quit and say, forget it. I'm not even trying anymore. It's not worth it. And those really are the responses of religion or just flat-out rebellion. Religion says, I'll just keep faking it. And rebellion says, I'll just flee. I quit. But Jesus calls us to believe that blessed are those who don't compromise, who are pure in heart, who tell the truth about who they are and then yet run to Him, who are willing to look there. And here's a, here's a way, just briefly, that you can look there. Go on, Chris, to the next screen. Is This is what we call fruit to root. And we don't have time to go in this in depth. This is what we do, uh, use a lot in our fight clubs, but just in our, also in our missional communities, but in our everyday conversations, is that, what did I do to ask that question? And this is the level of behavior, emotions, and thoughts. So what did I do? What was the sinful action? What was I feeling? I was angry. I was hurt. I was lonely. Or I felt guilty or ashamed or afraid. And what were my thoughts? And what I mean here by interpretations is, you know what? I'll probably just never be understood. I'll just always be alone. That person doesn't care about me. Everybody misunderstands me. I've never had anybody I could depend on. Right? These things are all happening. We just need to say, this is what I did. But if we want to get to the heart, it's why did I do it? So I'm pouting about the counters, right? Not being praised. Desires. What was I wanting that I didn't get? It's a game changer question. When you're falling into sin or conflict. What was I wanting that I didn't get? What good desire became a ruling desire and therefore became the God I was worshiping in that moment? What was I believing? Right? All sin is unbelief at its core. What was I believing in that moment about who I am? I'm unloved. I'm alone. I'm not approved of. I'm out of control or I need to be in control. What was I believing about what God has done or not done? What was I believing about who God is or who He's not? Well, I'm believing He's a distant, careless, cruel, vindictive deity out in the middle of nowhere who doesn't care about what's happening in my kitchen on a Tuesday afternoon. Heart. And why did I do it? What's unique about my personality and the story of my life and all the brokenness I've went through, all the ways I've sinned against others and the way I've been sinned against? That's a lot. It's a lot. For some of you, it may be totally overwhelming, honestly, to go there. So how do we go there? We can't just stand in front of the mirror because it's going to be too overwhelming to see it if that's the only place we look. So as we say every week and every day, for every one look we take at our sin, we want to take ten looks at Jesus. And so we say with Proverbs 29, who can say I've made my heart pure, I'm clean from my sin? None of us. 
Right? I'm, I'm personally just so overwhelmed by this. I want to hide. I want to keep my life divided. I want to keep my life unblended. This is a major temptation for me so I can protect myself. But guess what happens when we keep our lives divided and blended? Then we don't even know ourselves. We become self-deceived. And we're not loved by other people. Just this image we've presented is loved. And therefore we feel more ashamed and more guilty and more afraid because we've created a fake us to be loved by other people and we know all the time, well, it's not really me. How can we be set free? We have to look to the only one who lived the perfect, pure life. There's only been one person who's walked this earth who lived a life that really was pure of heart. And he was not considered blessed. He was considered scorned, rejected, a man of sorrows. But he never compromised. He faced Satan himself head to head and was and was told, come on, Jesus, just compromise. Just give in a little. His own disciples said, no. Stop it. You're not going to go die on a cross. That's not how the kingdom of God's going to come. You're going to have to play this game with these Pharisees and this Roman government. Jesus, do you not know anything about politics? I mean, it's Pharisees or Rome. What's the lesser of the two evils? And he never gives in. He's authentic to the core. He is so committed when he's called to play the game of compromise and play the game of not being so faithful to the will and ways of the Father. And he does it not because he's some sort of out of touch pushover, but because he wants to rescue us because he is, as we sang, the true and better Adam. He's the true and better Abraham, the true and better David, the true and better Israel, and he's the true and better put your name in the blank. Never compromising, always committed, always consistent. What you see is what you get. This is good news for us in the church. This is good news for people outside of it because they're looking, they're looking at us and they're looking for leadership that is so that is so true and real and authentic, but all they feel like they keep seeing is hypocrites, phonies, and fakes. And we've got good news for people. We're not Jesus, but we know Jesus. We are imperfect people, but we serve a perfect Savior, one who lived the life we could never live, and then He went to the cross. And for all of us compromising, divided, committed, inconsistent people, He gave His life. And He covers our impurity so that we now, through faith alone, in Christ alone, are known as holy. That today, Jesus looks at you and if you are in Him, He calls you, and me of all people, a saint. It's amazing. And then He gives us His Holy Spirit so that we not only read these verses as pointing us to Jesus and saying, well, I guess I'm just always going to be horrible, but at least there's Jesus. No, then He gives us His Spirit so now that we actually can be enabled to grow in purity, to obey God's command. 
It's the promise of the new covenant we read of in Ezekiel, where Jesus says, where, where the prophet Ezekiel says through the Spirit of God, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, those things we worship at the level of our heart. I will cleanse you. This is such good news. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And notice verse 27 of Ezekiel 36. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, enable you, empower you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my commands. We are saints enabled and empowered with the spirit to now go out into this world of compromise and lack of commitment and be different and live lives that demand a gospel explanation. Why are you not compromising? For your roommates, your spouses, your, 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 your people in your workplace to see you choose to not compromise when everyone else does and then to ask why and you to say, you know, I want to. But I have this king, Jesus. And he's called me to a better way. He's called me into a better story that says, seek you first the kingdom of God. To receive the promise then that they will see God. Chris, click there again. We'll get back to Matthew 5, 8. For they shall see God. This is the promise for the pure in heart. And this is a good promise for the pure in heart because that's ultimately what the pure in heart wants. Those who aren't pure in heart, they could care less if God was even in heaven one day. They could care less if even God existed because they're their God and everybody else is their God. But the pure in heart are those who, like the psalmist of Psalm 24, want to ascend the hill of the Lord. The pure in heart are those who cling to Jesus because He is the King of glory who brings them into the presence of the One who can satisfy their divided, compromising, inconsistent lives. This is what we're called to live in. And the good news is we have all we need in Jesus. We can go there. It's going to be hard. But what you find yourself overwhelmed with is not so much your sin at the end of this as you find yourself overwhelmed with your Savior. I'm not much of a cleaner, and you want to know why? Is what I don't like about cleaning is sometimes when you start cleaning, you find out there was a lot more to clean than you thought. You ever did that? Like, I'm going to start cleaning my house or this room, but the more dirt I pull back, the more dirt I see. And you know what I want to do? My wife could confirm this. I'm kind of like the guy who's like, maybe we could just put a rug in here. Right? Maybe we could just put some newspaper over it. That's religion. Let's just fake it. Let's just cover it up. Or I just want to quit and say, let's just burn the house down and go get a new one. Right? That's rebellion. Right? But the good news is, we'll finish up here. 
Chris, click, click us through. One more. No time for that. No time for that. Here we go. This is good news. If you, if you will rest in the gospel and trust the Spirit to lead you here, this is what's going to happen when you start to want to go to the level of purity of heart, is the more you have an awareness of God's greatness and holiness, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to feel better about yourself in and of yourself. You're going to have a growing awareness of your sinfulness. Get ready for it. If you want to be a part of this church, we're going to look at the heart, and you're not going to think, oh, wow, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. You're going to look at it, and you're going to be like, scared to death, right? But guess what? The gospel is going to be this much more beautiful to you. You're going to start out with a little bitty Jesus. But if you'll go there and you'll keep going, you're going to have a big Jesus, a big gospel, the real Jesus, the real gospel, a Jesus who's not just true news, but a Jesus who's good news, and a spirit who can make you like him in spite of all the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see 